0: Welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Michael Neal, and I work at a school in Tennessee called Vanderbilt University. It's basically my job to learn with and from some of the most thoughtful, ambitious, and impactful individuals who have come through Vanderbilt's Leadership and Learning in Organizations doctoral program. Before earning a doctorate, these leaders partner with an organization, conduct a research project in that organization, and offer evidence-based recommendations that make a positive impact. We call this a capstone project. This is a show about how some of the most dynamic capstones were constructed and carried out and the particular pivot points that made the project, but could have broken it. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Riley Post, who worked with West Point on his capstone project. Among a number of key pivot points he describes, you'll notice his choice of a conceptual frame for organizational justice that guided his investigation and proved important to nearly every aspect of the project.
1: And so that became my framework: is this idea of, of justice, and you know, it has different components to it, which is nice because that you know gives you some some bones to build out on. You know, so you have you know these outcome sort of justice components, you have process, you know, and so from there, it's really pretty easy to build out your research questions because they almost ask themselves.
0: Let's get to the interview.
1: Riley, thank you so much for being with us. What a pleasure. Well, Michael, thank you for having me. This is fantastic. i'm I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Give us a sense of like how you came to this professional role, how you ended up in this role. my My current
1: job is a, a talent management um, leader for the Army, and I focus on uh, getting the right cadets in the right branches of the army. I've worked in special operations most of my life and had a, a little bit of time here at West Point teaching. Uh, during that time, I got exposed to some of the talent management stuff that was going on. There was an opening and the, the the people running the talent management program were looking for somebody that had experience with selecting people and being through selection process, working on teams that were uniquely designed. And that could you know work in sort of an econ market kind of world. Um, they couldn't find anybody like that, so they turned to me and asked me if I'd do it. <laughs> um <laughs> no, it was it was a good match. Uh, and so that's how I ended up where I am now, and it's been fantastic. I work at West Point, but I work for the Army uh, as a larger uh, organization. And so it's good being here on a campus where you're exposed to cadets. And that's sort of part of the motivation that I had for doing this program is that this is a new innovation for the Army where there is a lot of desire, but not necessarily understanding of what's needed to make it happen. And so the program, doing this doctorate in education has really helped shape me and given me tools that allow me to bring back and say, hey, you know we've got these design requirements essentially. How do we design a system that produces the outcomes that we want and how do we continue to modify that?
0: And so Riley, for folks that for folks that don't have a lot of exposure to uh, the military, can you can you kind of walk us through the relationship between the Army and West Point You said you work at you work for the Army, but you're at West Point.
1: Yeah, so even people that have exposure to it, uh, this isn't isn't the most normal job. Uh, (laughs) So West Point uh, produces officers for the Army. It's not the only place that does that. We also have ROTC, so people who have been on campuses and other places may be familiar with their ROTC program. I am assigned to the Pentagon, uh, and that's where our um, human—you can think of our HR programs being run out of the Pentagon. But because I'm working on a a problem set that's specific to cadets— Uh, They placed me here at West Point, so I have direct exposure to them, some analytic support from some of the organizations that are here. Uh, So West Point is a subset of the Army, but I am not actually working for West Point. I'm working for the headquarters of the Army with duty at West Point, if that clarifies. One of the fortunate circumstances that I had is that a mentor of mine came to me and said, hey, uh, we are developing a peer evaluation system that is going to help us better understand character of cadets. Would you be willing to help us with that? Of course, I said yes. Interacted with this really, really intelligent advisor that I have, who said, "Hey, you, uh, <laughs> you may want to consider a different aspect of that. Maybe help them evaluate how you know the the about the the system they develop rather than the building it for them." And that's what I ended up doing. So. They did the new peer evaluation to try to better understand character at West Point. I came in and helped them understand the extent to which that evaluation uh, was producing fair outcomes for cadets. And we did that through a few different things, a few different ways, taking the data they collected. Then I also did some survey and interviews uh, with cadets. And then brought that back together. And it turns out there, there was some bias and we would expect there was bias within these peer evaluations, but there was also a lot of goodness in them. The cadets really valued some of the feedback. There was a, a trust of the institution to use the feedback for good information, for good decision making. And so we were able to take some of those, what might be considered negative findings and produce some changes to the, their process that now we think gets a lot of the good of a peer evaluation without harming people
0: in the process of making them. Mm. So, it sounded like initially they wanted you to actually build a peer evaluation system, or was it to redesign the peer evaluation system that they had?
1: So, they have done, and the Army does peer evaluations, almost everybody does it exactly the same, a one to n ranking um, on a piece of paper, and that's about the extent of it. They wanted something that was better or more than that, and so... Uh, you specifically recommended, hey, don't get in the business of trying to build this peer evaluation. And so the sort of negotiated settlement was they had an idea of how they wanted to build it Along the way, I provided, you know, some consulting, if you will, about things that I suspected might be issues, but I didn't really know. They incorporated some of those and they didn't incorporate some other things, produced the system. But the real work that I did was help them assess the validity, reliability and usefulness of that system that they ultimately produced. So, yeah, there was sort of a back and forth period where... What I thought I was excited about, and needed to do to solve their problem or help them solve their problem, was to build this thing. What we settled on me being more valuable would be to be sort of that outside evaluator of the thing that they built.
0: Gotcha. I, I talk talk to me a little bit about. Um, obviously, uh, character development is is something that's a central pillar at West Point, along with you know other priorities that the organization has. Talk to me a little bit about what is character in both the way the organization conceives of it and perhaps the way you conceive of it. And then when you tried to kind of conceptualize that space, what did you run into? How did you manage that?
1: Yeah, so character is you know one of those uh, one of those ideas that everybody has some different take on it. West Point is actually fairly codified in how they think about character. Uh, they use a very uh, Aristotelian sort of approach to it, and it is virtue in action is the way that they, is sort of their one line. They have different virtues that they believe compose the character that's necessary for a, a cadet to become an officer that's trustworthy. And that's sort of at the end of the day, they want somebody who is trustworthy. And so they they think about it in a civic virtue. They have uh, intellectual virtues, uh, you know, moral virtues. Do you always do what's right? Intellectual virtue. Do you make good decisions? Performance virtue you, do you achieve the objective? And so they have these different dimensions of it. And so y- you could have different understandings of what character is, and I may have a different understanding of that. But what I did decided to do early on in the study is not debate what char- how character should be measured, but take how they understand character and how they're trying to measure it, and then try to help them understand, are they measuring it well, uh, given the framework that they've decided to use? Um, it could be a whole different project, I think, would be to say... You know, How do we understand a character at West Point and how do you operationalize that? Um, right. I, I sort of took that as a given for this study. And that's, you know, I think everybody will tell you, you'll come in with all these big ideas of what you want to do. The narrower you can make it, the more successful you're likely to be. And so we just left that as an input into the system. Mindful that it's, you know, it's, it could be different for different people, but using that as
0: sort of the starting point. And I, I, you mentioned a minute ago about how kind of you came to the organization, built a relationship with the organization. Actually, they came to you and they kind of had an idea of what they wanted you to do. You'll basically use like an app, right, that they or they were using an app to do the ratings and then you were able to pull yep. data from that app, right?
1: Yep. So they built an app and in the app. Um, they had settled on, instead of using cardinal ratings, they did pairwise comparisons. And so whatever the dimension of the question was that they were going to ask, they would say, you know, for example, if it was about trust, they would say, it would cycle through everybody in their 10-person squad and say, which person do you trust more? You know, and it would show their name on one side. It was almost like a swipe left or right type of thing. And you would uh, just consistently pick the one that you, and so you do a pairwise comparison of every person in that, that squad and that would create an Elo score and Elo is similar to what they use for ranking chess players and tennis players and things like that mm-hmm. and so it would you know separate out the cadets into different bins and and then there were some comments, some questions that were provided about to de- for them to describe why they had rated certain cadets the way they had. The
0: uh, what they were doing with the app that you pulled this data from um, was this uh, strictly a character assessment, or was this assessing across other areas in which character was a part?
1: <laughs> it was designed to be a character assessment, okay. but it, the, you know, there's questions about whether or not uh, you know. So West Point, for example, defines part of character as your performance Mm virtue. So do you have quote unquote, the character or the virtue uh, to grind through something hard and accomplish, be there at the end when you need to be there at the end or, you know, to be victorious or those type of things. Mm -hmm. Well, somebody who uh, is not physically strong might struggle under a heavy rucksack Mm -hmm. and not be able to get to the, you know, to the objective in military terms. Mm -hmm. Is that because they're physically weak or because they lack the character to gut gut it out? Yeah, so all these things definitely mix together. Um, I think we should be clear about that. But the
0: intention Um, was an assessment of character. That's right. Because at the end of the day,
1: they were asking questions about the trustworthiness of this person. Right. Um, And, you know, the extent that you want them on your team type of thing. Right. So previously, there was a sort of deterministic part of this is that, you know, depending on where you fell in the peer evaluation rankings, you know, that would contribute to your grade in a certain way. So, you know, just as an example, let's say you're in the top third of peer evaluations, you might get an A for your peer evaluation grade, and that might be 10% of your summer grade, um, which is then... You know, a small fraction of your overall standing at West Point, mm-hmm. but that's important because that that influences things like the branch that you can get, the post that you can go to when you're a senior. You're are standing at West Point affects a lot of those things, mm. and so they were. It was if A then B, or maybe that's a bad answer. If one then A, then you know you get this this certain
0: outcome. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So so talk a little bit about what you learned about peer evaluation. You said a minute ago that you knew that it was likely to have bias. Um, So talk a little bit about what you found about peer evaluation and why you expected there to be bias even before the thing got started. So I I guess my
1: anticipation of there being bias is that it it's a subjective evaluation. And I think it's just clear that when there's subjective evaluations, there is always bias in any subjective evaluation. Whether that's consistent and identifiable is unclear. And so that was something that we were, I was interested in looking for. But we knew, and I knew going into this from literature, that when we do interviews of people, there's there's tends to be what's known as a similarity or affinity bias, that you tend to pick people like you. And when you're doing an assessment that is, very sort of nebulous and essentially those questions boiled down to do you trust this person or not how to what extent or do you trust this person more than another person there was going to be some relationship there between you and this person you just spent the summer training together that uh likely had a lot of chances for these bias to to enter enter into it so i was I i would have been shocked if there wasn't um, some sort of bias. And then the question is, you know, to what extent does that influence outcomes? And then are there ways to to mitigate those things? And so when we got the, the raw data, what we found, what the the most uh, clear findings was that, yes, there was this affinity bias that men were much more likely to rate women, to rate men higher than women and women were much more likely to rate women higher than men. And the same thing happened with race to a lesser extent that white picked white more often, black picked black more often. It wasn't as
0: as extreme. Wasn't it, it? wasn't as extreme as the gender, the gender difference. Yeah,
1: yep. yep. So, you know, gender difference was a better predictor when we started doing regressions than what race difference was. And we we, we can talk as much as you'd like to. I guess it uh, might put some people on the podcast to sleep if we talk about the regressions and all that. But first of all,
0: will you kind of do? Um Talk to us about why you chose to use regression analysis and then also um, just give us, for somebody who's kind of a layman when it comes to quantitative analysis, give us kind of like, what does a regression analysis do for you?
1: Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'll start with the, um, the second question first. At the heart of regression analysis is trying to understand the relationship between two, two variables when you control for everything else. And so uh, there are some different ways you can do that. Uh, we didn't have the away- an ability necessarily to get to a causal mechanism here, but what I could say is that uh, when I control for how a cadet performed in the summer, when I control for um, their performance at West Point, uh, all of those things, I can tell you what the the relationship is between. Uh, being of the same race as the person you're rating and the rating that you give. Mm. And so that was, uh, something that, I, that I thought was really important is to be able to, cause y- you might say, Hey, um, you know, all left-handed trombone players have certain characteristics, so they're always going to be rated a certain way. Right. Um, <laughs> Well, I can control for you being a left-handed trombone player. Um, you know, and people would say that about hey, athletes at West Point are always going to get a certain rating or not. I can control those things and just try to isolate this the effect of race or the effect of gender or the the effect of um, you know where you stand in the class. And so we found that you're standing in the class actually it didn't matter if you had the if you were a top performer and somebody else was a top performer, you weren't more or less likely to pick them uh, based off of where they stood relative to where you stood in the the class. So there were some things that were not informative, um, and that's good. Being an athlete actually didn't have any bearing on, if you were both athletes at West Point, you weren't more or less likely to pick that person.
0: And so give us kind of the, um, give us kind of the non-wonky uh, brief summary of the findings that were related to the regression you ran.
1: At the end of the day, it came through, it was very interesting to me. One of the things that was interesting is that it was clear in the data that there was this bias, but when we interviewed cadets, they consistently said i can see how that bias may creep into other people's squads but it didn't happen in my ratings oh, interesting um, yeah and the way that i rated people or the way that people within my squad rated me because we were such a good team mm. and you know out of the you know a couple dozen interviews i did and the 381 respondents that i had to the survey that was a very clear finding is they didn't believe that that bias would be there mm. um, but it was i think one of the things that's uh maybe new for people coming into doing a doctorate is thinking about having an analytic framework. Um, And that's not, that wasn't something that I had ever done before. It's a little bit daunting. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, how am I, how am I going to come up with this thing that is going to guide my entire project? Um And so I kind of started just distilling down, what is this really about? What are we talking about here? Um And what are the, when I, when I have sort of initial conversations with the sponsor, what are the concerns? And the concerns were really about fairness. Like is, yeah, we think we're going to get some good information about uh, cadet character from other cadets, mm-hmm. but is it, are we doing it in a way that's fair? Is you know, is it producing fair outcomes for people? Is this uh, eroding trust within the organization? Is it building trust within the organization? And when the, you know, those things are all kind of. Floating around, you know, we got to—I I latched onto this idea of justice, and so institution, you know, the justice within an institution, and so that became my framework: is this idea of of justice, and you know, it has different components to it, which is nice because that you know gives you some some bones to build out on, mm-hmm. you know, so you have you know, these outcome sort of justice components, you have process, you know, and so that started to organize my thinking. And then once I had that framework, and from there it's really pretty easy to build out your research questions because they almost ask themselves. You know, so if if one of the you know components for my my framework of this idea about justice is you know process based. Well, then I just ask a question, do cadets feel as though this process is you know a fair mm, process? Right. Uh, or you know the, the organiza- or the distributive you know justice, are they getting fair outcomes? And so that was really helpful for me and something that was unfamiliar to begin with. So and then the next part is, okay, I've got this good framework now. I feel confident in that. It produces good questions. What data would I like to have to answer these questions? I like to personally kind of start from in an ideal world. If I could have the exact data that I need to answer this question, what would it be? I wanted to have every bit of data that came out of those peer evaluations where there was anything that I could uniquely identify the individual that was rating the cadet and the cadet that was being rated. And that's what I got. you know, so we got from their peer evaluations. I had I could I could link to an individual, the race, gender, academic performance, everything about that. Individual, both the rater and the ratee, and that was that was critical. The next thing I wanted to do is be able to have data about the why. So I think that I knew that would help me understand the what, what was going on here, but why that was happening. Mm. Um, uh, and so that was going to come through some surveys and through some interviews. So um, timing-wise, the um, West Point added in my survey questions into their app, and so. At the same time that the cadets were filling out the the peer evaluations, they had the option to take the survey afterwards. And a little over a third of them did take the survey afterwards. So I got the data from the peer evaluations and the survey within a few weeks of them having completed it. About a month later, when cadets came back to campus, I started doing my interviews. And so, yes, I did, you know, I had some initial interview questions in mind, but I took the data from both the peer evaluations and from the the surveys and used that to form my questions or at least to deepen my questions. You know, those produced a lot of the whys, you know, it wasn't, hey, why did you rate this person this way? But in my mind, hey, I know that there's this bias in here, so I can start asking them, you know, questions like, do you believe that, you know, these ratings would be biased and what might cause that? And, uh... You know, they universally said no, they're not. But I could believe another squad might have, and this is that other squad. They might have done these things. Mm-hmm. They also shared at that point how much they disliked the fact that these were going to be used for grades. They thought they weren't fair, and that it was you know they were being forced to create a forced distribution and you know you know screwing over their buddies and all mm-hmm. these kind of things. And so that emotional part of it uh, became something you can never get from a survey. Mm -hmm. And so so I wanted to be able to provide both to the organization. I wanted to tell them, hey, using the best data analysis and regressions that we can do, this is what bias bias exists in your uh, ratings. And then I wanted to say, and this is your cadet's perceptions of peer evaluations in general and this process specifically, Mm -hmm. Um, because it was really important to know Even though uh, there was bias in there, cadets found a lot of value in peer evaluations. They wanted to get feedback from their peers. They wanted to provide feedback about their peers. But there was a certain way in which they wanted to do it um, that wasn't currently the way it was being done.
0: Okay, gotcha. After a short break, Riley will describe the recommendations he designed and what happened at West Point in light of this project.
1: So what we found is there was a statistical difference in the scores uh, for uh, minority and women in the peer evaluations and that we had confidence, very high confidence in that, uh, you know, P level, uh, you know, less than 0.01, 0.05 type of thing. So uh, without getting too into the statistics of it, there was something there. And it was statistically significant. Just to put that in context, uh, thirty points, uh, which was about the difference for women and minorities, was about three uh, percent of the grade. So, about a thousand points per cadet. Would, they would out of a thousand points, they would get about thirty points lower. That results in you know half of a letter grade, uh, typically lower for their for their scores. Um, then, so that was sort of just the top line finding. Then we started to do some uh, other regressions that would help us understand what what was causing that. And I could start control for being the same gender as the rater, being the same race as the rater. And we found almost all of that 30-point difference was explained by the sameness um, or not of your rating. Now, what's driving this, if you had 50% women and 50% minority at West Point, you would have zero effect, Mm. essentially. But because squads were 75% white and 75% male, you end up having this effect. Um, And so this will get into the, you know, presentation of the findings. This isn't something that, you know, West Point necessarily wants to see. But what I tried to explain to them and I think gained some traction was that this is human beings being human beings, we have it we see this all across the literature. We tend to pick people like us. It's just what we do. Everybody picks people like them. It's just your squad demographics are such that when that happens, you produce an outcome that you would not like to see. So I could you give you rough numbers. It would be about 76 or 77% male and it was about 74, 75% white. Gotcha. Now, obviously, you could break that down much further. the The academy is in in a given class is you know ten to twelve percent African American and ten to twelve percent Hispanic as well, and then you you have other races and ethnicities. uh, And do uh, those
0: represent? And do those um, do those numbers come from self identified gender and race or how do? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's when they you know when they're applying and they. They check the marks, yep. you know, so obviously, and, and I understand too, that, you know, black and Hispanic are not the same category, sure. uh, like, but the way that Army categorizes uh, data is if you are black and Hispanic, you are considered a Hispanic cadet. Okay. Um, if you are white and Hispanic, you're considered a Hispanic cadet. Gotcha. So that's why I refer to them as white, black, Hispanic, right. and other. And, you know, the, the people here understand too that, you know, for example, black and Hispanic are race and ethnicity, not one of the same, right. but for whatever reason, the army uses those as unique categories.
0: And it seems like your choice of a regression really probably gave you a lot more leverage there than if all you had to offer was just perception, student perception or cadet per- perception or instructor perception. Like, it sounds like you were really able to leverage that in making the case that like, we actually have a problem here that needs to be addressed.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, if you're able to do that, Uh, Especially at a place that when you have the data available to you and you have, you know, there are, we have a math department here that I was asked to run my regressions past. (laughs) um, uh, And they passed muster. Um, That does, it adds validity to it. You know, anytime, you know, if anything, I was hoping to do strictly a quantitative uh, capstone. I don't know that it's ever possible. I don't know that you could actually ever do a quantitative only capstone. Mm. You, you could do a qualitative only, I, I think. Um, but when you do quantitative, and even as much as I love that, it still is really just gives you the what? Mm. I think that you still need some you need something, whether it's surveys, interviews or both, to give you the why um, and help you describe why something is happening.
0: Yeah, that's really well said. Talk about the like what came out of either the survey, the interviews, or both, if they overlap. Um, you know, what what did you what did you discover in terms of deepening the findings from the regression and or um new findings that emerged there?
1: Yeah. So we uh dug in a little bit into, you know, what did before I told cadets anything, uh, did they expect these to be fair? Um
0: the cadets. And actually, the cadets, you mean the cadets.
1: Right. Did the cadets expect these evaluations to be fair? Uh, and what we found is, in the survey, at least, only 12 percent uh, strongly disagreed or disagreed with the statement that the that these uh, the question, Let me let me get the question that I asked them. Uh, to what extent do cadets believe particip- participants will treat each other fairly in peer evaluations? Uh, and only 12 percent of cadets agree, disagreed, or strongly disagreed with that statement. Mm. All right. And I think that was that was actually pretty important um, because there's a going in. Belief that these are that they're going to get good that the the feedback's going to be fair. And when we when I did the interviews, it was interesting because they would I asked them if they wanted any of that feedback uh, to to hear about. It. They all did. They all wanted to hear what somebody else had said about them, what their squad had said about them. And some of them got some negative comments. To a person, though, they said, "Yeah, I can see why that person, why somebody might have said that about me." They might not have liked it. They might even even disagreed and said, "Well, they misread the context." Uh, and so I think that was that was important. Um, the, the we asked a question about like, do you think this is a like being required to do this? Is it fair that you're required to do this process? Um, and they were almost uniformly, "No, that's not fair that we're required to do this." Uh, you know, especially because it goes for grades and we don't like that. Um, and was know. that
0: was was that what it what what was really at the heart of it, or was grades sort of an like an example of what was at the heart of it. Like what, what was it they perceived as not fair?
1: Yeah. I I think they thought that it was just always more nuanced than you could put to a grade to, or a, you know, a ranking to that. It was, we had a lot of people that said, I didn't have anybody in my squad. That was bad. Some were better than others, but you know, if I'm required to put everybody in order, well, it's not fair, you know, that somebody's going to get a bad grade out of this. Um, uh, Or, you know, we were all about the same. We all pitched in together, uh, you know that type of thing. So I, I think it was the grades were an outcome that they didn't like, but it represented the fact that they felt like anything that puts a number to it mm-hmm. is selling it short because there's much, they had you know four weeks of doing hard things together that they wanted to be able to be more more articulate about it. It's one of the things within the military that is was held up as being important is that we hold each other accountable, and that's the idea at least, and that. Peer evaluations are a way to hold each other accountable, um, even if the person who's assessing the uh, the platoon from the outside doesn't see uh, that the people inside the, the squad or inside the platoon can provide that feedback, and they want that to be known. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, I think that's something that the institution wanted to hear. Um, I wasn't sure that's what we would hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was important to take all these things together when we started building recommendations, um, because it wasn't, hey – there's bias in peer evaluations and so you just need to throw peer evaluations out and never use them. Mm. It was and why, why
0: was it not that? Why was it uh, just throw this away? Yeah
1: yeah, because cadets wanted it, uh, the institution wanted it the, 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 they they when I gave them the feedback from those peer evaluations, they said that's useful and it, it makes me a better person, a better leader. Mm. Um, they felt as though this was going to if, if at the end of the day West Point's trying to develop better leaders both the institution, leaders of the institution and the cadets felt as though peer evaluations were helping them do that, mm. um, but they were also inadvertently harming some people along the way that they didn't realize. Mm. And so um, the the goal was to try to keep those things that were beneficial and enhance those and get rid of the things that were harming people. When I say harming people, I'm specifically talking about grades. Yeah. And so that that became the number one recommendation and kind of the uh, I wouldn't say punch in the face, but hey, let's just call a spade a spade. We're, we are, because of bias in these uh, peer evaluations, we are harming people, um, but it is creating lower grades for people, and that's just inherently unfair. Um, and so we need to develop a system that stops doing that. The nice thing is the peer evaluation system they had didn't have to be used for grades. They were just choosing to use it for grades. Uh, it could have been formative only instead of just being sum- instead of being summative and formative. Um, and so that's what the recommendations move towards was, you know, eliminate this summative part of it where it goes into a cadet's grade. And then once you've done that and you're doing no harm per se, uh, use the formative part of this that the cadets love and provide them the feedback. And you can provide them some of the feedback that is even potentially, you know, scores and ratings, but it's that uh, the narrative the, the qualitative feedback they were getting from those peer evaluations that were most valuable and you need to do it with, you know, coaches and adults in the room to help them process through it and not reject it. Um, and so that was the second recommendation. The first one is get rid of the, you know, the grading part of this. Um, and that was actually adopted, uh, and they don't use it for grades anymore, which, you know, we'll talk maybe more about that here and why that's important to me. But, uh, the second recommendation was, uh, Build on the formative part of this. Use coaches and build feedback mechanisms to get this in the hands of cadets, so that they can take all this great information from their peers and leave the summer experience being a better leader than when they came in. Mm-hmm. And so that became our my second major recommendation, and that's actually been happening as well. Uh, so they are uh, they've built some feedback mechanisms. Uh, they've got some coaching. Uh, that's that each person now gets that feedback. Uh, which is really nice. And so they've you know, and I've been fortunate to be a part of that and I've enjoyed that. I was just gonna say the last one uh, is the one where you know there's maybe still some work to be done um, is It's just encouraging the institution to be transparent about what we found and why the changes are being made. Um, and there's a couple reasons for that. One is that all these cadets that graduate will go out and they will be raiders of people. Um, they will be platoon leaders responsible for rating squad leaders and other peoples and their people in their platoon. Many of them who will not look like that, like them, you know. There, there will be white males rating non-white males. There will be women rating non, you know, rating men. Um, And so, to help educate them on your propensity to be biased, even when you don't know that it's there, um, has real importance for us as an army uh, to create better feedback. I think the other is just you know some uh, institutional humility and transparency is good to say, hey, there was this thing going on that we weren't aware of. It's important for us that we don't do harm and that we do the best that we can. And when we identify these things, we're going to change and we're going to be proactive Mm -hmm. about it. It's not because there was a New York Times article about it. It It's because (laughs) we did, you know, we did some looking at ourselves and we found something that um, we can do better and we're going to do better because that's a really important thing for us. And so that was the third recommendation is sort of, you know, sharing and being open with these findings about why we are making the changes we're making. You know, one of the things that's always nice is when you see an organization take on something as their own. And, you know, recently there was a pretty senior level briefing where they talked about their peer evaluations and how they give feedback and all that kind of things. And there was no mention of, you know, a st- the study done or any of that kind of thing. It's just how they do <laughs> things now. And, you know, I love that. Yeah. That's that, that's exactly what I would love to. It wouldn't, It's not like... Hey, some guy told us we needed to change some stuff, so we changed some stuff, and this is what we're doing. It's this is this is the way we do peer evaluations now, and right. it's just part of the, the the organization. So maybe that's just a to me that's one signal that things have you know gone in the way I would like them to go. That it's not Riley's recommendation; it's just the organization's right. now. Right. You know, for me personally, the, a lot of the courses about you know process improvement, design thinking. Things like that, and this capstone brought a lot of those things together and allowed me to uh, stretch my wings a little bit and try try some of this stuff, and not just in a hypothetical world or theoretical world, but no kidding, we've got a real need. You've identified a problem, you have people who are willing to implement some change. What are you going to do? And to be able to draw on some of those principles about design and sitting down and talking with cadets about what it, you know users how what they would like to see, and uh, you know from the institution, and so that was really valuable for me too. To, to put that all together and to actually be expected to produce something that's useful as opposed to just meeting requirements in a, in a, um, class, uh, I think really helped me grow, grow, as well, again, beyond just being an, an analyst or somebody who can identify what's going on, leading that, bringing that to, to drive change was, was really, it helped me grow. Gotcha. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, Riley, what's, uh, what's next for you? What's next for you professionally? Where are you headed? Where are you headed in terms of using what you learned with your uh, with your doctorate?
1: Yeah, so I'm excited about our next opportunity. Uh, we're going to be working in Army Futures Command, and I'll be the senior military person in a you know couple hundred person research organization, and I'll have the opportunity to I think help those researchers maybe broaden their scope, help organize some things. I certainly have a ton to learn from them. And uh, so I'm excited about, I'm always excited about being in a situation where I feel a little bit in the deep end because mm. that's the only time you really get to swim. So I'm looking forward to that as well and some new challenges there. But I have no doubt that what I've learned with regards to design, qualitative research, those type of things are gonna be hugely useful in my next job.
0: Well, Dr. Raleigh Post, thank you so much for joining us and sharing about your experience with your capstone. Thanks for being with us.
1: Hey, right, Michael, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Other than being impactful, what do we notice about Riley's project and the pivot points that mattered? Certainly Riley's decision to work with an organization he knew and people he trusted made a difference. Riley's decision to take up a conceptual framework that clearly articulated elements of a concept called organizational justice allowed him to make decisions about research questions, data collection, and data analysis, it led to his findings that are still making an impact for the U.S. Army's future officers. A huge thank you to the guests who make this show something worth listening to. Thanks to Peter Shellman for editing, mixing and tech support. This podcast was made possible in part by a grant from Peabody College Dean's Office for which I'm certainly grateful. Thanks also to the Capstone Partner Organizations, the hardworking Capstone Advisors and Program Director Eve Rifkin, all of whom make these projects happen. And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to like, review, and share this podcast because that's the way other people are going to find it. All right. I'll see you next time, folks. I'm Michael Neal, and this is Pivot Point.